You're here to listen, and I'm here to talk. This is Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason. Man is made from the dust, returns to the dust, and he will one day rise from the dust. Some will rise to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of death. But be sure, the grave is not the final resting place of mankind. The day is coming where life and death on earth will change, and all will be made new through the Lord Jesus Christ. That day is not now, but I say unto you that it is near. The signs are pointing towards it. The signals are pointing towards it. Just open your eyes. Look around. Everything that is happening are signs and signals pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the season where death and destruction, pain, sickness, suffering, loss is on everybody's minds. As it were, we are a repeat of what happened in Europe during the time of the Black Plague. The governing officials had hired men to walk around during the day and in the evening pushing carts, and these men would call out to the people of the city, Bring us your dead! Bring us your dead! Bring us your dead! And the families who had lost loved ones and friends would bring out their dead and place them in the carts to be carried away to either be burned or buried. Death is horrible during time of plagues, during times of pandemics. The world seems helpless. The world seems uncertain. During this COVID-19 season, SSWJG is dedicated to bring you podcasting episodes to lift your spirit with the message and the hope of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but resurrecting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you heard me right. One day, you and I will resurrect. You and I will be caught up together. You and I, if you have obeyed the gospel, will arise when that trumpet sounds. And those who have gone on before us will rise first. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. See, we believe in healing. We believe in miracles. But understand this. You can be healed and still go to hell. You can receive a miracle but still suffer misery in the lake of fire forever. You can even be raised from the dead in this life. But understand this. Being raised in this life is just simply raised again for the temporary. Raised again for corruption. But it is only when the Lord calls out for his church and his people that you will be raised incorruptible. You will be glorified as the Lord's body was glorified. You will ascend into the heavens, the upper high realm with the Lord where he is. So I say to you that the resurrection is the greatest hope that we have. It is the only hope that we have. Amen. You even look in the Old Testament, all of the promises, all of the gifts, all of the callings, all of the special things that God did in that time, there was still no answer for death. There was still no answer for what happens in the life hereafter. Yes, God says, I will show you a land. I will promise you a land. I will be your God and you will be my people. But even if they lived a long, prosperous life, they still died and went to the underworld. 
But Jesus came with a new covenant and a new promise that he purchased with his own blood. He suffered and died and bled on a cross for the sins of the world to break the bondage of sin, to break the bondage of death, and to break the bondage of hell, which is why he leaned over to a thief on one side and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Jesus took the keys of death and hell, meaning Jesus decides who goes to hell and who does not. And if you follow him now, you'll follow him to where he is. It is in the heavenly paradise. That's why we have good news for you. It is the good news of the resurrection signals. Amen. Amen. I feel like podcasting today. (laughs) I love podcast listeners. Podcast listeners are smart people, wise people. And I would like to think of myself as being just like that because I'm a podcast listener. I want you and I to stay connected. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also think about giving us a great review and rating. Follow me on Facebook pages, Instagram, and Twitter at Justin C. Gleason. You can contact me through the messengers on any of those social media platforms, or you can send me an email spiritsignaljg at gmail.com. Please refer SSWJG to your friends. Share our stuff, repost, add it to your story, retweet it, text it, email it, do whatever you got to do. You could even communicate spirit signal with your friends by a smoke signal. That's right. That is permissible. Spirit signal through a smoke signal. (laughs) You know, this generation is just looking for good reception to the voice of God. And we believe that SSWJG, it is the network to join. I have a special announcement for all of you that I'm really excited to inform you about. Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason, our podcast, is now available on Truth Radio. Truth Radio contacted me just a short while ago and asked if they could put Spirit Signal on their app. And I said, absolutely. I am delighted to be on Truth Radio. It's an awesome app, and I'm excited about the name Truth Radio because when we set out Spirit Signal at the beginning, we said we are going to be loyal to the truth. We are loyal to the truth over politics. We're loyal to the truth over man's opinion. We believe in the truth. We will always speak the truth. And this is a special time and season for Truth Radio. It is Truth Radio's one first birthday. It is Truth Radio's first birthday. It is now one years old. So happy birthday to you, Truth Radio. I want you to go to your app store, wherever you get your apps from, and download Truth Radio. I mean, right when you open it up, it's very easy to use. All of the sections of it are really big Easy to see, easy to follow, easy to understand. And you just click it and all of a sudden, bam, apostolic media is right there. Truth Radio has powerful preaching from some of our greatest preachers uh, right now from the pulpit. Evangelists, uh, Josh Herring, Chris Green, Brennan Claiborne, Victor Jackson, just right there, powerful preaching devotions. It's got a lot of preaching recorded, you know, in conferences, church services, in front of live audiences, which is wonderful. That's what I do most of the time. Uh, Live preaching, uh, we preach in a way that is pulpit appropriate. We communicate the word of God uh, in an auditorium. There's a certain type, a a presentation uh, that comes with that, a certain 
uh, element of thematics that comes with that. But then also the Lord has, has moved upon me and others to podcast, which takes away a lot of the ambience, ambiance, whatever it is, of a pulpit and bringing it down to a desk where it's more conversational. The Word of God is presented more in a talking fashion. And you have on there my new favorite podcast, the Reverend Art Wilson Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Goodwill Ambassador Wilson, uh, for creating and producing your podcast. I absolutely love it. It is helping me get through COVID-19. And uh, I also was a special guest on one episode on there. So go there to the Reverend Art Wilson Podcast. Subscribe. Listen to some episodes. I'm on there. Other great guys are on there. It is phenomenal. Brother Wilson has great ideas and a great thing to say. Uh, There's also the Restorationist, Brother Adam Shaw, Noteworthy, Brother Nathan French, uh, Faith and Finance, Sister Adrian uh, Hildebrand. Great information there. Great information there on finances. Uh, she, She knows what she's talking about. I recommend it. You also got the Hello Awesome, Life Begins at Motherhood. This is where it starts, hardly uh, hustling. Uh, a lot of great apostolic ladies who are very talented at podcasting on, are on there. Great information and just a lot, of, a lot of stuff. It's a good app to have on your device. So download, listen, and of course, donate. Truth Radio, here we come. The Spirit Signal Society is going to be downloading like crazy. We're ready to listen. Resurrection Signals is the series that we are beginning. I plan to take this uh, series all the way up into the day of ascension. Uh, we'll see. Things change. You know, you never know. But I've I've just started writing uh, the last three, three or four days, and a lot of resurrection stuff has been downloaded to me that I want to present to you. Uh, the resurrection, as far as how we as Bible-believing apostolic Pentecostal Christians understand it, Resurrection is simply when the soul supernaturally returns to its earthly body and lives. When the soul supernaturally returns to its earthly body and lives. Reading from the book of Luke, chapter number 7 and verse number uh, 11, it says, Now it happened the day after that he, this is Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ supernaturally brings this boy's soul back to his body. Resurrection is a theme that you see a lot in the New Testament. This is not the only person that the Lord resurrects. He resurrects uh, a man's daughter. He resurrects some of his disciples' brother uh, by the name of Lazarus. There's other examples like this. But this, this one is particularly interesting to me 
because of the pattern that it fulfills in the Old Testament. There was resurrections that happened in the Old Testament performed by the prophets. You take, for instance, Elijah in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. He goes to a widow in the city of Zarephath where of the Zidonians. And he calls to her and says, give me bread and water first. And she does this. She gives to the prophet, the man of God first. And after that, the Lord blesses her during a time of great famine. He blesses her and her flour and her oil never ran out. She always had food on the table for her family. And I'll say to you, keep giving during this COVID-19 season. You do that, your flour, your oil, your livelihood will never run out. Amen. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And the love of God, the depths of it, can only be experienced by giving. So keep on giving. During that time, tragically, her son died. And Elijah took him and laid him on a bed. And the Bible says that the prophet stretched himself face to face over this son who had died. Elijah is face to face with death. And he prayed over this boy, and he called upon God, saying, Lord, let his soul return unto him. And he had to do this three times until his prayer was answered. And then it says, and I quote, 1 Kings 17, 23, Elijah presented the son to his mother. The Lord answered the prayer of the prophet, and the boy's soul returned to his body. And Elijah presented the son to his mother. Elisha. Elijah's successor, Elisha, the prophet that Elijah trained, who his mantle fell upon. Elisha in 2 Kings 4 is in the city of Shunem, and there is a woman there who had a son born by the prophetic word of Elisha. This son also died, and Elisha, like his mentor, went up and stretched himself upon that boy and prayed. And he was resurrected. So you take Elijah and Elisha's. They're miracles at that time. 800 years later, Jesus is walking through a city called Nain. Walking through a city called Nain, according to Luke chapter number 7. Elisha was in the city of Shunem. You know where Shunem is? It's on a hill on the south side. You know what city is on the north side of that same hill? A city in the Hebrew called Neimah, and it means pleasant. This was in the territory of Issachar. Nehemah meaning pleasant. This is a fulfillment of Jacob's prophecy over his sons. Jacob said in Genesis 49, Issachar saw the rest. It was good, and the land was pleasant. So... On the south side of this mountain, you have Shunem. On the north side, you had Nehemiah. Hundreds of years after this miracle with Elisha, as the Greeks began to come and to take ownership of much of the land of Israel, they changed the name of the city, Nehemiah, to Nain. That's how the Greeks spoke. They called it Nain. And in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, it continues that same Greek pronunciation of this Hebrew word, Nehemiah, pleasant, and they call it Nain. So 800 years after Elisha, Jesus is walking through this city called Nain, 
which is just right on the other side of a mount of the mountain where Shunem once was. All of those people were probably very proud of what God did through prophets hundreds of years before that. They were proud that this is the territory where prophets came and raised up the sons of widows. And here you have a large funeral procession happening on the outside of the city. On the outside of the city, the son of a widow, her only son. And the Lord comes up to this widow, comes up to the coffin, touches the coffin, and the boy who was dead, his soul resurrects. And the Bible specifically says there in Luke, Jesus presented the son to the mother. This is fulfilling a pattern of the Old Testament prophets. And then as we read in Luke 7, the people all say, a great prophet has risen among us. This miracle was Jesus' way of showing the people then that I'm here to fulfill the good things of God that you heard about long ago. I'm here to make it alive and I'm here to make it present with you. In other words, he's showing them that God hasn't forgotten about Israel. God hasn't forgotten about the power that he once showed. And he wants to do it again right here, right now, through me, the Son of God, the Messiah. This miracle that Jesus did, the resurrection of the son of the widow, spread all throughout the land. Many followed, many believed, many became disciples. But there is one person later who hears about this miracle that has a little bit of struggles with what happened here. It's John, the baptizer. He's uncertain about it. Picking up in verse number 18 of Luke 7, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to many of the blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Notice what John says here. Are you the one or do we look for another? There's a lot of ideas on why John asked this. My idea on this goes back to old rabbinical teaching that John would have been familiar with in that there would not be one Messiah to Israel, but rather two Messiahs to Israel. Yes, and many of uh, the practicers of the Judas, Jewish religion, many uh, who practice the Jewish religion, still believe this to this day. They don't believe one Messiah is coming, but rather two Messiahs are coming to fulfill the patterns of Joseph and David. To fulfill the patterns of Joseph and David. They believe that when the uh, Messiah comes, he will be like Joseph. Uh, and you look at uh, the life of Jesus, he certainly fulfills the patterns of, of Joseph, uh, who, who was known as the sufferer. He was the sufferer. 
you look at these patterns of, of Joseph and Jesus, Jesus fulfilled them. Uh, both of them were greatly loved by their father. Both of them sh- uh, served as shepherds. Both of them were sent to their brothers. Both of them were then despised by their brothers. Both were sold for silver. Both were bound in chains. Both were falsely accused. Both were sent to prison. In prison, both of them were with two men. One died, the other escaped. Speaking of the, uh, the, the thieves on the cross, one died, went to hell, the other one died and went to paradise. Both of them became known or presented to the world publicly at the age of 30. Both were then exalted after great suffering. Both of them forgave those who wronged them. Both of them were once considered dead, but then were found alive. Both of them, their names mean salvation. Jesus, going back in the Greek, is Iesus. Iesus is a transliteration of the Aramaic name Yeshua, or in Galilee, it was probably just Yeshu, which is a transliteration of the old Hebrew name Yehoshua. Yehoshua. It, named, it means the salvation of the Lord. You then take a look at Joseph's name. It doesn't mean salvation. It means he will add. But Joseph went by a different name in the land of Egypt. It was Zathpath Baneah. And in the Egyptian language, that means salvation. Zathbath, Paneah, and Jesus, both their names mean salvation. Both of them gave their brothers a cup. Both of them provided bread to save their people. Both of them were Hebrews, but married Gentile brides. Both of them then had Gentile sons brought into the covenant. Joseph's son Manasseh and his son Ephraim were both brought into the covenant of Abraham. Jesus then marries the Gentile bride, bringing us into the covenant. Uh, there's other things that uh, Jesus did to fulfill the life of Joseph. And this is what John is looking for. Is Jesus going to fulfill Joseph? And also, will there be another Messiah possibly that will fulfill the life of David? You think about this. Jesus fulfilled the life of David. David and Jesus were both born in Bethlehem. Both of them were shepherds. Both of them fought many battles, including taking down great enemies. David took down Goliath. Jesus will one day take down the beast, the Antichrist. You think about this. Goliath was six cubits and a span. Goliath, it's mentioned in 1 Samuel 17, had six pieces of armor, a bronze helmet, coat of mail, leg of armor, bronze javelin, spear, and shield. Goliath's iron spearhead was 600 shekels. So again, he's six cubits in a span. He has six pieces of armor, and his spearhead is 600 shekels. You have there those numbers back to back. Six, six, six. That's the number of Goliath. You then read in Revelation 13, what is the number of the beast? It is six, six, six. David's first act of valor and war was not killing giants, but rather killing lions and bears. Lions and bears, 1 Samuel 17. 
You read later in Revelation, the beast that comes out of the sea to speak blasphemous words against Jesus in heaven. He has the attributes of a lion and a bear. As David killed lion and bears, Jesus will kill this beast that is like a lion and a bear. When David uh, got his sling and his stone uh, and slung it at the giant, he wounded him right in the head. In Revelation 13, where is the beast's first initial wound? It is a wound in the head. Goliath blasphemed against God, the God of heaven. Antichrist will do this. He will speak blasphemous words against God. David and Goliath both battled in a valley. Jesus and Antichrist will both battle in a valley. In Revelation, Armageddon. Everybody in the time of David was afraid of Goliath. The only person not afraid of him was David. And in Revelation, everybody will be afraid of the beast. Their hearts will even fail. Everybody's afraid of the beast, except the Lord Jesus. So there you have it. Jesus Christ, one man, fulfills both prophetic patterns as Messiah of two men, Joseph and David. There are not two messiahs. That is a misinterpretation of Old Testament prophecy. There's not two messiahs, but one messiah. But there are, however, two comings of the one messiah. Jesus came, first of all, like Joseph. He suffered. He was betrayed. But then he will return like David and conquer. So why is John the baptizer confused whether or not there's another one coming? You know, John was the one that baptized Jesus. John was the one that had a word from God and said, look for the sign of whom you see the Spirit descending upon. It was Jesus. If anybody knows who Messiah is, it would have been John. He saw the signs fulfilled. He saw it all happen. Why is he doubting here and now? I'll tell you what I think. It's because of where he was at. John was no longer down by the river, no longer seeing multitudes coming to him to repent, but he was incarcerated in prison. John was placed into prison because he rebuked Herod Antipas for his unlawful marriage, his unlawful marriage. Pointed his finger right at Antipas and said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You have to do some reading and do some external biblical history about this. This is what happened. Antipas divorced his wife because he had a love affair going on with his sister-in-law, his brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. Now, Antipas is a king. He is a leader amongst the Jews. The Jews believe it's unlawful for a man to marry his brother's wife while the brother is living, according to Leviticus chapter 18. So uh, this angered John, this angered much of Israel uh, because of this. So what happened was Antipas, in order to, uh, I guess, appease the Jews, by extortion, he forced Philip to divorce his wife Herodias. Antipas threatened Philip with death. So Philip, fearing for his own life, divorces his wife Herodias. So Philip looks like the bad guy. Herodias is then, you know, free. She has a bill of divorcement. 
And so that's when Anipus marries her. You know, so on the surface, everything looks okay for Anipus. But in all reality, John, because of a, his prophetic gift, and others who had the wisdom knew what was going on, and they did not like it. So uh, this is why John rebukes Anipus, because of his unlawful marriage. And this is why Jesus rebuked it uh, as well, these type of unlawful marriages that behind the scenes, under the table, extortion happened, murder happened, sedition happened, betrayal happened. You know, but on the surface, everything looks uh, great. Uh, John came to shut that stuff down. Jesus and the church came to uh, shut that stuff down. Uh, marriage is sacred. Uh, married, marriage is holy. If there's lawful marriage, then there also can be unlawful uh, marriage, which Anipus's marriage to Herodias uh, was extremely unlawful. But Anipus, like I said, through extortion, did uh, these things to Philip, his brother, for his wife. Anipus, his answer to this was to threaten John, so he shuts him away in prison to make him quiet. While John is there in prison, I believe that's when he began to doubt. You know, he's there in prison for standing up for the truth. He's preaching Messiah is coming and now is here. He baptized him. And this is his reward. This is his place, and I think he knew he was going to die. That is where I really think the temptation and the feeling of doubt came to John because of where he was at, because of the circumstance. That is when the doubt came. And he sends two of his disciples as messengers to Jesus. And he says, ask him, are you the one or do we look for another? And you notice Jesus didn't come out and say, you know, directly, yes, I am he, believe in me. No, he says, you know what? Look at the signs. Look at the signals. Jesus says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. You know what Jesus is quoting? Some of Isaiah's prophecies. Isaiah said concerning Messiah in Isaiah 35, that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. Isaiah 61, when Messiah comes, good news will come to the poor. And of course, in Isaiah 26, the dead shall live. Jesus is saying to these disciples of John, I'm fulfilling messianic prophecy. There's not two messiahs, but one messiah. And I'm doing it exactly the way the word of the Lord said it would be accomplished. Resurrection, anytime it happens, you always see a little bit of uncertainty. You know, even with Jesus' resurrection, there was a lot of uncertainty. When Mary first saw him, she didn't think it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. You look at Thomas, he certainly didn't believe it. You look at uh, Cleopas and the other disciple, they didn't recognize they were walking with Jesus. You know, their hearts were burning within them, but they didn't know it was Jesus until he finally uh, disappeared in front of them. Resurrection, and this is the season of the resurrection of the Lord, there's always that little bit of doubt that tries to creep into our lives. And when does it usually happen? Under hard circumstances. During times of uncertainty. 
like the world is in right now with COVID-19. One of my favorite preachers, teachers of the Word of God, is Billy Cole. I loved Brother Cole. I was uh, so delighted to be able to be around him in my childhood, teen, and early 20s. In his books and in the sermons he preached, he talks about his time in Thailand. And he says the revival in Thailand could not have happened if it were not for the intercessory prayer of his precious wife, Sister Shirley Cole. Sister Cole defeated demonic spirits, powerful spiritual wickedness in high places in Thailand through intercessory prayer. Brother Cole said early in their uh, missionary ministry in Thailand that Sister Cole would pray hours upon hours, fast for days and days. And after she would intercede and war in the spirit against those devils in Thailand, Brother Cole would literally have to come and pick his wife up off of the floor. After weeks and months of this, warring in the Holy Ghost, Sister Cole became very sick. Brother Cole knew he had to take her to a doctor. He took her to the doctor. and According to Brother Cole's testimony, he said the doctor said, What in the name of God are you people doing? Brother Cole said, What do you mean? Why? He said, I've examined your wife, and she is suffering greatly. He said, The blood and water in her body have separated, and the blood in her body has surfaced, and it is coming to the pores of her skin. Your wife is literally dying of a broken heart. Brother Cole knew that things had to change in that moment if his wife was going to live. You see, they had already been very successful in Thailand. But because of the physical stress and sickness of the ministry, it was time to come home. And Brother Cole brought his wife home, brought his family home, and began to minister again in the United States of America. He began to preach Holy Ghost rallies all throughout the land, completely changing the culture of how we pray people through to the Holy Spirit by the sign of speaking in other tongues. Instead of having people stand or kneel at the altar how they did it in the old days, he wanted to do exactly what they did in the book of Acts, and that was sit. You know, the Holy Ghost came from heaven where they were sitting, and it revolutionized how we pray people through. Brother Cole said, we no longer need to tarry for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a gift. It comes instantly if you will receive it. And that started happening in his meetings. But he tells in that story that during that time, all he would do was cry. He would cry at home, cry in the car, cry at the dinner table. He would just sob and weep. And I believe what happened and he says this, that the devils of Asia came to terrorize him and his wife. Brother Cole talks about the rewards of sacrifice, the rewards of suffering. 
He says, when you suffer, when you must sacrifice for the Lord, the temptation will come to be offended, to give up and quit because maybe things aren't going so well for you. But Brother Cole said it. John the Baptist even said it. Everything that we do, it is for God to increase and for us to decrease. Everything that we do for the kingdom, for the hope that we have, the power that we have to speak the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, it comes with a great price. It comes with great suffering. But Billy and Shirley Cole, those great missionaries, evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostle, prophets, those great people, never got offended, they never quit, but they kept on preaching. They kept on teaching. As it were, during those prison moments, like John was experiencing, theirs was not prison, it was sickness. Sickness near death. That they didn't get offended. They didn't doubt the message. They didn't doubt the church. They didn't doubt the plan of God. But they kept on preaching, kept on believing. And that is the message that surrounds the resurrection of Jesus. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Jesus is saying to John, I know things aren't as good as they used to be, but if you truly want to be blessed, never be offended in me. Never be offended at God because you stood for the truth and it got you jail. Never be offended at God because you stood for the truth and you fought and you prayed and you persevered and you had to suffer great physical sickness. Never become offended at God. Offense is one of the great signals of the last days, that offense would arise. And I don't think that's speaking of offense that happens in the world, but rather it's speaking of offense that's going to happen in the church. No longer will people become offended at each other. No longer will they become offended at the world, but rather they're going to become offended at God. Bitter at God. But the Lord is saying that during those times of crisis, during those times of uncertainty, you are blessed for not being offended. It's easy to believe and walk with God and follow truth when things are going good. But during this time, can you believe and walk with God when things are uncertain? Many of the disciples had trouble even believing that the resurrection was real. Even though Jesus had resurrected widows' sons, he had resurrected daughters, he had resurrected Lazarus. He even said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again on the third day. He even said, I will go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and rise again. But they doubted his word because of the circumstance, because of the betrayal, because of the threatenings of the Sanhedrin. Because of all of these things, 
they were tempted to quit. They were tempted to doubt. They were tempted to stop believing and go back to fishing. Go back to tax collecting. Go back to whatever they were before Jesus found them. They didn't understand his death. They didn't understand his burial. Because of that lack of understanding, that uncertainty, they doubted that he was resurrected. But all the resurrection signs and signals were right there. And he had the scars to prove it. So during this COVID-19, maybe you feel like John, imprisoned. Maybe your career is suffering. Maybe some of your property isn't working. Cars aren't starting. Things are going wrong in the mechanical parts of your house. Maybe there's sickness in your family. Maybe there's dysfunction in your life. And you're lacking peace. Does that mean that God is no longer Messiah? No. Does that mean that Jesus Christ is no longer alive? No. What really is going on here is what Paul talked about. He said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. There's only certain things you can know about Jesus through suffering. There are things you can only know about Jesus through his resurrection, the supernatural aspects of the dead being raised to life. I want to say to you, don't be offended at God. You're going to suffer greater things than you are right now, becoming offended at God. Jesus Christ did not come to fix this earth. He did not come to make this earth better. Oh no, this earth was judged. This earth is fallen. You know what Jesus Christ ultimately came to do? Save us. Save us from what? This untoward generation. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from death and hell. I don't care if you live to be 157 years old with perfect health, a rich life, great family, great friends. If you die at 157 and you haven't obeyed the gospel, you go to a dark, dark, horrible, horrible place for all eternity. Jesus Christ came to give us the hope of the resurrection of life. And he did it through mighty signs and wonders. So it is undeniable. This is the great hope that we have. This is the great opportunity that we have. Jesus Christ's resurrection is everything. Don't doubt it. Don't fear it. But embrace it. And if anything right now where this world is at, it needs the good news. The world is becoming poor. The economy is falling apart. The gospel needs to be preached to the poor. Blinded eyes need to be opened again. Deaf ears need to be opened again. The mute need to speak again. The lame need to leap again. The lepers need to be cleansed. And yes, 
the dead need to be raised again. So how about it during this time? Well, we take every opportunity that we can to show the signs and the signals to this world that Jesus Christ resurrected and he's up there in paradise. And all of those that obeyed the full gospel message, when they died, their soul didn't go to hell, but rather it rejoined the Lord in paradise. And one day we're all going to arise together again. This is the hope and the power of the resurrection. So don't be offended. Be optimistic. Jesus later said in Luke chapter 7 that John was the greatest of all the prophets. John finished well. When he got the news from those disciples, he was comforted. His faith increased. And he was martyred for the Lord. And great is his reward in heaven. We were talking about Elijah and Elisha earlier. You know what the prophet said about Elijah? That one day, God would send his messenger before your face. And he will prepare the way before you. It's speaking of Elijah coming back right before the Lord's return. And Jesus would later say, Elijah has come. It is John the baptizer. Before the Lord comes the second time, God is raising up apostles, prophets, mighty men and women of God to preach and to teach that the Lord is going to return. And the temptation in that day, when the trouble comes to those people, it will be to become offended at God. Never let your circumstance make you doubt the Lord Jesus Christ. His word is true. His promises are true. So I pray that the Lord would give you certainty in this time of uncertainty. May the Lord give you peace in this time of pandemic. God bless you. I love you. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with some listener questions and comments. Our uh, podcast from last week was about fasting principles taken from Daniel. I received an email from Isaac, and he said, I just finished listening to the Daniel's Fast podcast. I have a couple questions. Hopefully you can help me out and give me some pointers. He says, the longest I've ever fasted recently has been six hours. And what I did was I prayed for about two hours, read the Bible for an hour, and for the remainder of the time, I watched preaching and prayed a little bit more. But to go for 12 or 24 hours, what can I do to extend those hours? Pray more, read the Bible more. Is there a pattern I can follow or how does it work? Uh, Isaac, great question. And I'm sure a lot of other people are thinking and asking the same thing. You know, fasting is something that, that doesn't really come naturally. It's kind of something that you you study, you learn, you practice, and over time, the more you do it, the more you get good at it. Yes, you can get good at fasting, believe me. You know, you're in the beginning stages of it. Understand this, fasting, its purpose is to deny your flesh. It is to suppress your carnal nature. So I like what you did in you blotted out, took out, uh, I'm assuming, entertainment in your life. You're not out hanging out with your friends. You're not out socializing. 
You're not out having a good time, but you're dedicating a certain block of time, six hours, for nothing but prayer, Bible, and uh, listening and watching good preaching for six hours. You know, that's a big step, and I'm assuming you're not eating or drinking during that time. That is good. Keep doing that. The best type of fasting, I think, is to be in seclusion, uh, getting away from everybody. It's just you, God, and the setting that you're in. And not feeding yourself lots of yummy food, but rather feeding yourself the Word of God in prayer and the and the uh, spoken, preached Word of God uh, through your device. I do this. Um, you know, uh, do it as long as you can, I suppose. Six hours is good. A 12-hour day, I would think, would be great. But don't, don't think that in fasting you have to totally only pray and read your Bible. It is permissible to take care of your responsibilities while you're fasting. If you're married, you got to help take care of the wife. You have children, you have to take care of your children. Your children. You have a house, you got to maintain the house. You have a job, you've got to work your job. So it's okay. It's permissible to take care of responsibilities, because responsibilities aren't so much pleasurable to the flesh. They're not satisfying to our carnal nature. You've got to do those things. You know, so take care of your responsibility, uh, then go back to fasting. I'll tell you this, one day uh, with nothing pleasurable for the flesh can really suppress your carnal man. Two days, three days, it's usually where I cut it off. I rarely fast any more than three days. I haven't done longer than a three-day fast in uh, quite a while. I think a five- to seven-day fast is when there's something really circumstantial. Let's say maybe you've got a big problem with a sin in your life and you need to break it. Five to seven days will do it. Uh, you need a, an answer from God. Um, you you really need a prayer answered from the Lord and you really need to build your faith and suppress your doubt. A five to seven day fast will do that. But the 21, the 40 days, that type of stuff, I believe you need to be led of God before you do that. I think you need to be led of God. Um uh, you you really need to go into it prepared. You need to really go into it uh, really uh, strong in the Lord. Let me let me tell you uh, those t- those types of fast. Uh, they'll, they'll really take you places. So really really hear from God. Really, what you're doing is denying your flesh. Nothing pleasant. Responsibility responsibilities are permissible, but just nothing entertaining. You know you yeah sure you can go three days with no food, no Mountain Dew, whatever, but if you're just binge-watching TV during those times, that's not really a fast. You're feeding your flesh with tons of entertainment. Yes, fasting is the food principle because mankind sinned by what he ate in the beginning, and what you're saying is, if I can say no to food, I can say no to sin. So, yeah, you, you just, no entertainment at all, no media, no food, none of that. Uh, you're not out socializing, having a good time. You know, even Jesus taught this principle. Some some were angry at him and his disciples that they weren't fasting. And Jesus said, can uh, the bride groom fast during a wedding? He said, no, you can't do that. You, you think about this right now. It's You're a groom and it's your wedding day. You're at the reception. They've got the steak. they got the potatoes. they got whatever. And they got the cake. And the groom says, I'm not eating. I'm on a fast. <laughs> That's just not appropriate. You eat during your wedding, right? Okay. And Jesus said, I'm here with my disciples. It's time to eat. But he said, the day will come when I'm taken away, and then they will fast, which is where we're at right now. We're in this season right now. But when the Lord returns, we'll never have to fast again. Praise God. Yeah, no fasting in heaven. It's going to be feasting in heaven. Right now, it's prayer and fasting. In heaven, it'll be prayer and feasting. 
First thing we do when we get to heaven, other than worship Jesus, is what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. First thing we do is eat. Uh, that is going to happen. So uh, uh, fasting is something we need to be talking about, something we really need to be getting good at. Uh, I love podcasting. Like I said, podcasting is a, a form of communication that is different from the pulpit. We bring a conversation element to it. We bring a talking element to it. We bring a more uh, relaxed element to it. I want it to feel like we're sitting down uh, having uh, some type of dessert and uh, drinking coffee. Yes. I, by the way, uh, you coffee drinkers, you want to make your coffee taste better. You got to do uh, the slurp. You got to do the slurp. You got to you gotta uh, bring the coffee into your mouth and make it splatter up onto your palate all over your tongue. That's how you get the flavors. Any good barista would tell you that. So I'm telling you that, and you need to believe it and try it. You can make any type of generic coffee uh, taste good. Folgers, Maxwell House, uh, old cowboy coffee, whatever you got to do, slurp it. Spray it all up on in, in your mouth, all up in your teeth. It'll taste good. Trust me. I'm going to do it right now. I put out a uh, social media post, a question rather. When and where do you listen to your podcasts? When and where do you listen to your podcasts? Uh, I think this is an important question because the, the, the time and in place, uh, uh, I believe, is very relevant to how you're getting your podcast information. Brother Shane Clark good friend of mine. He says, I'm in the car and at work. Travis Lavender says, car, yard work, lunch break, while taking a shower and before bed. Brother Travis, it appears you listen to podcasts all the time. That's good. Marissa said, when the kids nap and when I'm cleaning the kitchen or bathrooms, also when I go on a walk. Jessica Barquero says, it depends on my energy level. I'm a day person, so I do most of my productive work during the day, like studying the Word of God, working, exercising. At night, when my brain is tired, I do things to help me recover, pray, meditate, and listen to an edifying podcast. Because I can just click play and listen. That's epic. Raquel says, while I'm cleaning the house. That was all on Facebook. On over to Instagram. L Green seventy says, uh, especially during quarantine, during this quarantine, that's when I listen to podcasting. Bella Foo says, commuting to and from work. A Camp O five, what's up, man? Says during yard work, I like it. Yard work and office work. Preston Keller, what's up? Says when I'm in the car or when I'm getting ready in the AM. And Michaela. An awesome artist, by the way. Michaela Gleason, great artist. She says, I listen to podcasts while doing artwork. While doing artwork. Okay, you take all of these people that I just mentioned, and there's so many out there that probably didn't have time to comment. You notice something about podcast listeners. They're always listening while they're doing something. I have yet to hear of a podcast listener say, I listen to podcasts when I do nothing. I listen to podcasts when I'm lazy. I listen to podcasts when I'm a bum. No, you never hear that. Why? Because podcast listeners are productive people. Podcast listeners are accomplished. A lot of podcast listeners are affluent. And if they're not, they are on their way. Podcast listeners are looking for information. They're looking for wisdom. They're looking for understanding. They're looking for knowledge. And that is what podcasting does. Us podcast producers, we have been vetted and we're studying and we're preparing and bringing you the best information that we possibly can. And here on the Spirit Signal, my genre is a religion and spirituality. 
that's the way they categorize me out there in the podcast directories. But I would like to go a step further and say, really, this is a God, Bible, and Church podcast. That's what this is. But uh, we have a winner for uh, the comment on the question, where and when do you podcast? And it goes to Timothy Jones 1 on uh, Instagram. Timothy says, normally while doing work around the house or long boarding. Woo! You win. That is the most intriguing place. You know, I, I get it. People are doing it while they're putting their dishes away. They're doing it while they're raking their leaves. Some of us like to listen to podcasts at 3 in the morning while we're eating cereal. But longboarding, that is epic. That is intriguing to me. So congratulations, Timothy. You are the podcast listener intriguing award for the day. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for, thanks for listening. This concludes Resurrection Signals Part 1. Remember this, the resurrection of the Lord is not where the dead walk. Oh no, a virus doesn't cause anybody to walk, but it's the Spirit who will raise us up to life. It's not about the dead walking, it's about the dead living. Podcasting is the future, and I hope I have a future in it. We're taking the genre of religion and spirituality to another level.